I want you to turn to Ephesians 6 one more time, actually, yet again. And while you turn, my apologies to all the Okies. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I promise. I promise. Let's read verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Next week, I'll finish this series talking about the sword of the Spirit. It will be, I think, perhaps the most practical of all the message in this series as we talk about how the Word of God is central in our battle with powers of darkness. But today, the helmet of salvation. You would think that when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, the Ephesians church, that he wouldn't think it necessary to speak of salvation. But actually he does because people can be part of the church and yet not know Christ in a saving way. And it's absolutely essential that we all know Jesus Christ in that way. You can't stand against the schemes of the enemy unless you are saved by God. The word saved could be translated delivered. It could be translated healed. The basic concept is that God has to intervene to save, deliver, and heal. If God doesn't intervene, then the powers of darkness will prevail. Now, salvation is not something everyone believes in. In fact, many people don't. Even religious people don't believe in salvation. Some people believe not in salvation, but in reform. They may be religious people, and they say you have to change your life and conform to certain doctrines and practices in order to please God. Or they might be moralists who say, you just have to clean up what's unclean in your life. You need to live a righteous, good life. But it's all about reforming the self. Now, some people have rebelled against that whole concept. They say, you know, that's, that's legalistic religion and that's moralism. We want nothing to do with it. And so they, what they offer, not salvation, but something different, is a kind of liberation of the self. You could say liberation of the sacred self. I've talked about this some weeks ago. The idea is that the self is full of potential. And that the problem the self has are all the forces around them that oppress them and keep them down. What is needed for the flourishing of the self is for the rules to go away, the social expectations to go away, 
Sometimes they focus on capitalism. That's the thing that's keeping us down. Other times it might be social expectations around sexuality. It can be a lot of different things, but the idea is that needs to go away so I am free to be who I am. Remember I talked about the gospel of being true to yourself? That's what I'm thinking of right now. The idea is liberation. The problem is outside me. The problem isn't me. Now, this conform, or rather this, this reform agenda and this liberation of the self, they're very different, but they share one thing in common. They share the idea that there is nothing deeply and fundamentally wrong with the human person. They think that, you know what? Though we might have problems, those problems can be overcome through a little self-discipline. That's the reform side. Or they can be overcome if I can just change the world to fit who I am and change the expectations so I'm free to be me. That's the liberation side. But in both cases, the idea is that the person is essentially okay. And the faults will be dealt with without any radical change, without God's intervention, without salvation. I want us to look in Ephesians chapter 2 because there we will see Paul set out the gospel and in the first three verses he sets out the assumptions of the gospel. And then in the next verses, 4 through 10, he explains God's motivation and God's power when he saves people. But these first three verses, they are shocking because they cut deeply against the reform-minded and they cut against the liberation-minded. They talk about the state of human beings apart from the salvation of God. And it's not a pretty picture. You know, the one thing about the Bible is it gives great hope. It tells us about God's grace and love, but it never flatters us. You've noticed that, right? It's not a book that you can read and say, wow, I'm really pretty amazing. <laughs> what you see instead is that we are indeed sinners and we really do need to be saved. And that's something that the church needs to hold to. If we're going to stand in this day, we need to hold to salvation. We need to experience it. And we need to live in light of it. We can't budge from it at all. We can't lapse into religion and moralism of the reformers. And we can't go the route of the so-called liberationists, the ones who want to say, just be true to yourself. Listen to what Paul says right here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wow, so much for flattery. 
Look what, look what Paul says. This is absolutely essential. This is countercultural. This is, this is so contrary to the ruling philosophies of our day. But listen to what he says. He says, number one, apart from God's saving grace, you are dead. He's speaking of all of us. Spiritually dead. You're dead even as you live. Why? Because God is life. And in your transgressions and sins, he says, you're cut off from God. You're alienated from God. To stand in the presence of God is to stand enveloped in life. To be cut off from God is to live in the shadow of death. Now, a lot of people who are spiritually dead don't think they're spiritually dead. They don't feel spiritually dead. But then fish don't feel wet either. I mean, if you're used to it, your whole life has been, has been out of touch with God, then you don't miss it because you don't know what it is. Paul says our transgressions and our sins, they cut us off from God. And therefore, we are spiritually dead with no relationship with God. And then he says we're enslaved in three ways. He says we're following the ways of the world. See, people think that they're thinking for themselves when they rebel against this tradition or this moral rule. In fact, they are simply following the trends of this world, the ways of this world. They're conforming to it. They're acting it out. They, they just pick it up in the air they breathe. And it's a slavery because it's not true independence. It is a slavery to, to the, the, the ideas and the philosophies of the world that are so alien to God. And then Paul speaks of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He means the devil. And when he speaks of air, he's talking about the spiritual atmosphere that surrounds this earth. It is this enemy of God that is at work in the philosophies and the attitudes and the values and the hopes and dreams, the practices that are common in worldly society. The enemy is involved, in, and Paul is saying, apart from salvation, you were enslaved to this enemy. While you're going with the ways of the world, you are, in fact, under the sway of the devil. You may not know it, but that's what Paul says. You are being controlled by the evil one. We've been talking about that for weeks in Ephesians 6. Paul talks about the powers that are at work and how the church has to stand against them. Well, those powers are real and those powers are at work today. And Paul says you're, ens you're enslaved to these things. And then he says you're enslaved also to your flesh. He talks about how we lived out of the cravings of the flesh according to our desires and thoughts. Now, when Paul talks about flesh, he doesn't mean just the body. He means the whole person who is captive to sin. And so what he says is this. You've lived not only according to the ways of the world and not only under the sway of the spiritual ruler in this world, but you are enslaved to yourself. You live according to your desires and your thoughts that are an expression 
of a self that is captive to sin, that is cut off from God, that has no spiritual life. So people go around and they, they preach this gospel of be true to yourself and live out your desires and your feelings and your thoughts. That's being authentic, they say. Maybe. Or maybe it's yielding to the bondage of the flesh. It's living in sin. It's living in captivity. And so Paul says you're spiritually dead. Number two, he says you're enslaved, talking to all of us. And then he says condemned. He speaks of deserving wrath. Now we're really getting out there, far off from how people think about God. See, our culture, people in our culture, have very clear ideas about God. They believe that God is loving, gracious, good, and would never, ever, ever say a cross thing to any delightful person like ourselves. God would, God would never do that because, because God is infinitely accommodating. Well, where'd that idea came, come from? Well, it's sort of the res residue from many centuries of Christian teaching about the love of God. But funny how the whole picture of God isn't included in that storyline. Far from it. Because God in the Bible is not infinitely accommodating. He is emphatically not. The Bible speaks of his wrath. That is not God's angry temper blowing up and then he gets over it and lets everything go. That is God's resolute, unrelenting opposition to sin. God loves what is good and holy, and he can't do that unless he hates what is evil and unholy. And God sets his whole being against those things. Wow, those are stern words, aren't they? But there they are. There they are. The wrath of God is very real. People don't even realize that we see the wrath of God at work everywhere we look right now. Read Romans chapter 1. You'll see that, that Paul talks about people who suppress the truth in their ungodliness. They rebel against the truth. And so Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against such things. And you know how it's revealed? It's revealed by God giving people over to what they want. And what comes out of that? Idolatry, sexual chaos, greed, envy, malice, hatred, dissension, gossip, slander. These are all things Paul writes about or mentions in Romans chapter 1. You can go back and read it yourself. Go back and read it yourself. You'll see all of this. He says people who are caught up in this have no understanding no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Cancel culture, anyone? See, these things are evidence of God giving a culture over. These are evidence of wrath. So this is a very serious issue. And so here we are in this day. We face the challenges of this day, this evil day. And we have to stand for Christ. And part of that 
is embracing the salvation that God gives. And that's what Paul talks about next. Yes, this is a dark picture. You don't like hearing it. I don't like saying it. But that's what Paul writes in these first three verses. But then look what he says. This is astonishing. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And note this. This is not from yourselves. This wasn't by reform. And this wasn't by getting liberated so you could be your best self. No, it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. So the works come, but they come after salvation, not before salvation. After salvation, God intervenes. God intervenes in the lives of people who don't deserve a thing. You and me. You and me. God intervenes on behalf of people who are spiritually dead, cut off from him, enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil who are deserving of wrath, God intervenes for such people, which means he intervenes for us. And what does he do? He makes us alive in Christ. That's what he does. He makes us alive. That there we are in our desperate need, and God says, be born again, and we come alive. And what happens then is in the deepest recesses of our being, there is a new urge planted, a new desire planted, a new inclination. It is the desire to serve God. We still deal, we still deal with the habits of the past. Our brains have been wired by, by choices and things that we've learned. We still struggle in this life because of those things and we have to progressively overcome but if you have been born again there is something moving you toward God always and if you followed Christ very long you've seen the change take place in your life it is real that salvation is real and get this contrary to what so many people seem to think God can change people's lives See, what, what's happening with so many people now, they want to say, you know what, you just have to be authentic. You just have to reveal yourself. It, you are who you are. There's a rebellion in that, but there's also a kind of despair. In fact, maybe the rebellion is the fruit of the despair, this idea that, that I can't change, the idea that I can't live a better life, this feeling that, that all of these ideals 
They condemn me. And who can live with that condemnation day by day? So what do we do? We say, well, you know, maybe this is a good life. Maybe society's all messed up. Maybe they should just accept what I'm doing and how I'm living and, and the kind of life I embrace. That's despair. The gospel is God intervening and breathing life into the dead and changing the heart of those whose hearts are hard. Folks, that's what we experience in Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to experience and affirm and stand in. And as I said some time ago, preach. That's what we tell people. And it's that salvation that sees us through. It is contrary to the ways of this world, but is the way of God. And that's what I want to invite everyone here into this morning. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. They are Christians. And yet he talks about putting on this helmet of salvation because he knows apart from salvation, you cannot stand firm against the works of the enemy. In the same way, I would say, to this congregation of Christians, it may be that you are not truly in that place to where you can stand because you've not truly received Jesus Christ. The thing is, it costs you nothing. It is all of grace. All you have to do is put your faith in Christ. On the other hand, it costs you everything because you have to let go of everything you think is yours and surrender your will to Christ. It costs you nothing. It costs you everything. And if you make that abandonment to Christ, your own, then God enters into your life. He changes you from the inside out. It is real. I'm telling you, it's real. It has changed my life. It has changed so many others. And I pray he'll change your life this morning, that you will be born again. And I pray that every Christian here will stand in this truth, affirm this truth. Don't accept the, the substitutes for it. Don't embrace those, the reform-minded religionists and moralists or the liberation of the sacred self group that thinks everything's okay so long as it's authentic. No, no, we want true freedom. True life. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ, and we can be. We need to stand. We need to stand. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sins. And Lord, you don't leave us in our sins even now. God, how easy it is for us to rationalize. Sometimes Lord, turning our vice into virtue, convincing ourselves that what is bitter is sweet, what is evil is good. God, forgive us for that. And Lord, we see all around us the fruit of that kind of rebellion, and we see, oh God, the consequences, they are troubling. But Lord, by your grace, we stand. We stand, Lord, with the helmet of salvation. And what we pray now, Lord, is for those who are here that want to be saved. They want to flee, Lord, from the death and the judgment 
of sin. We pray, God, that you would draw them now by your spirit and you would save them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.